we're talking about finding hope in Jesus. How many of you now can recite the three phrases or three sentences that we have for our vision statement? Let's say it together. Walking together, discovering answers, finding hope in Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about today is uh, finding hope. This will be the uh, last of the messages on the vision for now. We'll be getting back to the study in Revelation next week. But what is hope? And uh, there was a man that one time uh, approached a Little League baseball game. He was just walking along and he saw it and he thought he'd stop and watch for a little while and he asked the little boy in the dugout what the score was and the boy said, 18 to nothing, we're behind. And the guy said to him, I'll bet you're discouraged. And he said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't been up to bat yet. I don't know how many of you have been to Little League Baseball games that have scores higher than the NBA, but it does happen. That's pretty hopeful. But on the other side, there's a fellow by the name of George Bernard Shaw that some of you may have heard of. He was a renowned free-thinking liberal philosopher uh, that wrote in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and... In his last writings, he wrote these words, The science to which I pinned my faith is bankrupt. Its counsels, which which should have established the millennium, led instead directly to the suicide of Europe. I believed them once. In their name, I hoped or helped to destroy the faith of millions of worshipers in the temples of a thousand creeds. And now they look at me and witness the great tragedy of an atheist who has lost his faith. That's hopelessness. And yet that man ruined many people's lives. We base the the phrase, finding hope in Jesus, on 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, and uh, I would like you to recite it with me, if you would. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow. And that's really how our vision statement is funneling. It begins with walking together experiencing life together, doing things like picnics and going to ball games and, and coming to each other's aid when we're uh, needing each other, participating in, in loafing shed uh, restoration and motorcycle parades and all kinds of things that we do together. And then as we open the scripture and share together, we're finding or discovering answers to life's perplexing questions, all moving us to this conclusion, finding hope, but not just in anything, finding hope in Jesus Christ. I'd like to read the entire context, if I might. First Peter chapter 1, Peter's writing to those who reside as aliens. They were scattered throughout Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, They were chosen 
according to the foreknowledge of God, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. These people have been spread out because of persecution and they were having a hard, a hard life. And he says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And then he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. Are you listening? It will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this we rejoice. Even though for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Isn't that a wonderful passage? What a wonderful thing. Hope in Jesus. It's not some kind of wishful thinking. It's a settled disposition that comes from a union with God. You know, many religions speak of hope. Hope that is dependent upon faith in teachings or faith in rituals. But the hope we're talking about is different because this hope is rooted in the Holy Spirit of God being in union with God and relationship with Him. This is a personal hope that is rooted in a person, not in a creed, not in a doctrine, not in a practice, not in how good we can be, but it's rooted in God and having relationship with Him. And it produces something that no other hope can compare. I'd like to give you a biblical uh, definition of hope. Hope is confident expectation that God's promises will be fulfilled entirely. That's what hope is. And where does this confident expectation come from? It's on the screen. It comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ in whom we've been born again and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us. Peter describes this hope as something that's alive. <laughs> no one can rightly say that a concept like hope or faith can be a living thing. It's a concept. Unless hope itself is a person. To be living, it has to be alive. And concepts are not living things. So why does Peter call it a living hope? Because it is tied to this real person who is alive forever, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
And Jesus is not a dead religious figure like Moses or Confucius or Buddha or Muhammad or any other founder. Even A.B. Simpson is dead. But A.B. Simpson didn't care that we remember his name. Jesus Christ is alive. And if he were still dead, then all our hope would be in vain. I'd be fishing or golfing with Bill. There's no reason to be celebrating or sitting here for you to sit and hear somebody speak when you've got a beautiful day out there, unless there's a living person to celebrate and worship. So what does it mean to be born again to this living hope? That's what Peter says. No doubt you've heard the phrase, born again. I remember traveling to Cebu, Philippines one time, and I was walking through the streets of Cebu City with Pastor Leo, and we saw a couple of LDS missionaries. And uh, we could, you know, it wasn't hard to tell. Uh, they had the white shirts and the ties on, and it was probably the worst humidity I'd ever suffered in my life. And I thought, man, those guys are really hurting, you know. And we said hi and whatnot. And there were people that were, that, you know, saw them, and, and then, but they saw us, and we were carrying Bibles and backpacks, but we didn't have our white shirts and ties on. So they're kind of like, uh, you guys aren't connected, are you? And we, uh, he said, what, what religion are you? And Pastor Leo says, born again. And they went, oh. They knew it. They'd heard that phrase before. Now, the predominant religion in Cebu City and the Philippines as a whole, except the southern island, the predominant religion is Roman Catholic, but they'd heard born again. And they refer to Protestants as born again. But what does it mean? Well, in John chapter 3, you remember Jesus was interviewed by a very religious man by the name of Nicodemus. And I'll read it for you, and if you want to follow, it's in John chapter 3. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. In other words, he was a big shot. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He had seen and heard about Jesus doing these things. And Jesus cuts right to the chase and says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a definitive statement. And Nicodemus, of course, asks him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And I don't think that Nicodemus was seriously you know, asking that question as much as he's like, you know, I, I just, I'm clueless. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So born again and being water, born of water and the Spirit are the same. You have to have that to be able to enter the kingdom. And he said, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do you know where it comes from and where it is going? So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So now we have a clue what born again means. Born of the Spirit. 
Now, this very religious man, very familiar with the Old Testament, still was not understanding, so Jesus came to explain it. To be born again is to be born from above. It is supernatural. It comes from heaven. It is tied to the work of God's Holy Spirit inside a person. It is not religious works of keeping God's laws or laws in, or any religious rules. It is a literal invasion into a person's soul, body, mind, heart, where God truly and personally lives. He takes up his home in one's life. And Jesus was the first living embodiment of a human indwelt by God's Spirit. He was showing us the way. Now look at the Apostle Paul. He said it this way in Romans 5. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now listen, he says, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Let's hear an amen. How many of you go, oh, good, something bad is happening again. You can't do that unless the Holy Spirit in you is going, you're going to be all right. You're going to be okay. And so he says we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope these things train us we learn to be like jesus he suffered he was perfected through the things that he suffered you say well how in the world well, isn't he the son of god wasn't he perfect already but the bible tells us that he was perfected through his sufferings. In other words, as a human being, he went through these things. And at the end of his life, when he surrendered himself, he did it without sin, that he might be the offering for our sin. And so he was perfected. And then the Bible tells us we're going to be like him. So we go through the same process. Isn't that a hallelujah moment? Now, he says, proven character brings about hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's a living hope. And notice it begins by faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus, that he died for our sins, was buried, rose from the grave and ascended to the Father in heaven. You know, faith is absolutely meaningless if the object of that faith is either fake or deficient. Saving faith must rest squarely on the sufficiency of a Savior who is capable of saving. And only God can do that. And he does it in Jesus. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, faith and hope are not the same thing, but they're very closely related. And we look at hope, how it's described. Our hope is in the glory of God. Our hope is produced despite the difficulties of life. Because hope doesn't disappoint because it is produced in us by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. If you feel hopeless, you need Jesus. (laughs) If you feel like the world is going to come to an end too soon, you need Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, the Holy Spirit says it can't come soon enough. Because he wants Jesus to come and his reign and glory to be revealed in all the earth. But he holds back, waiting for people to come to repentance. These are important truths. So the evidence of being born again is a changed life that's fueled by living hope because There's a living person giving it, fueling it, inspiring it. You know, archaeologists have dug up first century cemeteries in Greece, in Rome, and they found many tombstones that bear the Greek or Latin inscription, literally, no hope. Imagine living your entire life with no hope. Imagine going to your death And then you just put on your tombstone or whoever takes care of that for you, no hope. In fact, this is a typical inscription on a grave in Paul's day. I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. Wow, what an inspirational epitaph. That is hopelessness, but that's not the description of Jesus, is it? Our son is buried in Sunset Memorial over here, and on his tombstone it says, Fear not, for I am with thee. And there are others buried around us, some of the Heinemann family, right right next to where Jesse was buried in the same epitaph of hope. Some of you have relatives that have gone. But what do you want yours to say? I was not, I became, I I am not, I care not. I hope not. (laughs) But back to 1 Peter, he he says it begins by this born-again experience in Christ that produces a living hope. And that's because it's not a concept, it's a person. And he now lives within us. And notice what hope is expressed as. It's an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will never fade away. Some of us are fading away sooner than others. But what do we have to look forward to? It's imperishable, never fading. It's reserved in heaven for you. And so our hope is a confidence of God's power to complete his salvation in the end. And 
it won't be uh, God's born again saints uh, looking at the at the finish line, always ahead and always eluding. I don't know if you've ever seen a dog race. I've never seen one except from film. But you know, they put a little rabbit on the track, and the bell rings, and the rabbit takes off, and the dogs chase the rabbit. Does the dog ever catch the rabbit? It actually has happened, but very few. <laughs> But, you know, what's the point? It's always out in front, can never get to it. Get a little bit closer and you, you just strive a little harder, but then it just pulls away. That's not the hope that God's describing. It's not something that's always out there that you can never attain to. It's something you have now because it's a person who dwells within us. But it also is a promise of better things to come. Did you know that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment on His promises? Did you know that? God says, this this is what I'm going to do for you, and I'll tell you what. I'll give my Spirit to you as a promise. That's like a person giving someone that they love deeply to another person and saying, this is how much you can bank on the fact I'm going to do what I'm going to do by giving someone that they love as a promise. And this results in our soul's salvation. So how can we be born again? You say, Pastor, you've been saying a lot about that. and Maybe some of you already know. And the question before you today is that if you have been born again, then you know it. If you've been born again, uh, you know it. If you haven't been born again, you'll be going, I'm not sure, I don't know. You'll be like Nicodemus saying, what is it? Because being born again is something you know that you know that you know because it's a living person inside of you that's bearing witness with your spirit that you belong to, the, to God. And so if you're not sure, then you need to know how, right? How can you be born again? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 1, but as many as received him, he's talking about Jesus, to them he, that's God, gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What this is telling us is this this isn't something that you decide willy-nilly. I think I'll be born again today. I think I want to be born again. I, you know, that sounds like a pretty cool thing. I, you know, I want to go to heaven and I don't, so I'm going to be born again. That's not how it works. It works because... God gives the right to become a child of God, but it's not born of blood. It's not something you're born into. You can't be born into this. A lot of people think that Christianity is something that you're born into. There are people around the world who assume that Americans are Christians because in their culture, you're born into a religion. You're born into Islam or you're born into uh, Buddhism 
or whatever the case might be. You're just, you, you know, you, that's just what you are. You're born into Judaism. But, in, but to be born again is not of blood. It's not something that's passed down, inherited that way. It's not of the flesh. It's not even something man decides. Born of God. Now, Jesus goes on to say in, well, let me back up here. Does God want people to be saved? Because there are people that say, well, you know, there's people that God has already decided are doomed. Okay, and and a lot of Christians believe that. I, for one, don't. I'm just going to put it on record right here. Because 1 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but to all to come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4, First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings... And all who are in authority, you know when Paul wrote this, there was a guy named Nero on the throne. He said, pray for him. Do we pray for our president? I hope so. Because God is slow about his promise and wants him to be saved too. Pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Because this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? On the other hand, you've got to be ready and willing whenever God makes his invitation. Because Jesus said in John 5, and some people make, think this is a contradiction, but it's not. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. He says in John 6, do not work for the food which perishes but for food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, well, what should we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, you got to do 4,265 rules. Now, how many of you know what it says? He said, this is the work that God has given you, that you believe in him whom he has sent. There's your work. Okay. Okay, well, I want to be born again. Well, Jesus then says in that later in that chapter, I'm the bread of life, and he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. But I raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who believes the Son or beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. He went on to say, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Say, well, wait a minute. He wants everybody to be saved. But now you're saying that you can't be saved unless the Father draws you. Okay, well, he's doing that right now. Because he's, you're beholding the Son. Who lived the perfect life. Who died on the cross and rose again from the dead. The Father is wanting you to see the Son. That you might be drawn to him. So that if you put your trust in him, he will raise you up on the last day. And here's your invitation Jesus said it himself, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And so the Father desires people to come to know the Son, and he draws them when the Son is proclaimed. And the Son is being proclaimed today. And so right now, if you're feeling uncomfortable or nervous or uneasy, maybe you're feeling guilty, perhaps even embarrassed, these are some indicators that God is speaking to you. Before you can be saved, you've got to know with certainty that you're lost. How can you be saved if you don't think you're lost? And before you can be forgiven... You have to realize that you're guilty. And you can't just admit that you're guilty of sin in some general sense, but what you need to confess is that my sins are inexcusable and deserving of judgment. Before you can be justified, you must realize that you're condemned. You say, well, how can you say I'm condemned? Jesus said in John 3, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Right, kids? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then he goes on to say, For God didn't send the son into the world to judge the world, but the, the world might be saved through him. Good news, right? And then he says, He who believes in him is not judged. More good news. But he who does not believe has been judged already. That's the bad news. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is judgment, that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You want to be born again, you've got you to gotta let the light shine. You've got to realize that you're lost, that your sins are inexcusable, and that you're under the judgment of God. But then Jesus said, he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been sourced in God. So before you can be made righteous, you've got to agree and confess that your unrighteousness exists and that just it's not just the actions but the reason behind those actions 
the selfishness and the fears that gave you false arguments that what you've done in the past is something that God somehow can overlook. Because after all, I didn't mean to, or you don't know the situation I was in, or whatever. No excuse. No excuse. But when you confess them and turn from them and turn away from your rationalizing and your excusing, you become truthful with yourself and the light comes on. And then you can call upon his name and be saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. So with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be. And what, what is it about hope? Hope does not. Hope is a person. Hope does not disappoint. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Here we go. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's God's word. And the Holy Spirit is working to draw you. So if you didn't know when you walked in here that you were born again or not, you can leave here knowing. If you're willing to stop making excuses, if you're willing to confess that sin before God, if you're willing to put your trust in Jesus and call upon his name, you'll be saved. That's good news. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for every born-again child of God here today. Thank you for the hope that resides within us, and we do confess that sometimes we're over whelmed with our trials and tribulations. Sometimes we're perplexed with the meaning behind them or what's going on. We confess, Lord, that we haven't always suffered well. We ask you forgiveness and mercy, but we thank you, Lord, that we have a hope that's alive, that we have a promise that is secure. But I pray today for any person here who has yet to really experience the life of Christ, that today they will say, Lord, I am not right. And I have been making excuses for my life, and I ask you, God, for your forgiveness. And I want to know Jesus, and I want to know him personally, and I want to give my life to him. I want him to be my Lord and Savior, and I want to follow you the rest of the days of my life. And so right now, I call upon the name of the Lord, knowing that your promise is that I can be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.